Speaking of anthropology, my name is Dylan. And my name is Kevin. And today we are back with another film review here on this wonderful Saturday afternoon on Speaking of Anthropology on KCUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks. And, uh, you know, we have so far done, I think, a good spread of films. you know, we have done everything from a um, Netflix historical drama to ethnographic films, uh, you know, to all kinds of interesting things. And, uh, you know, today we are we are continuing that journey through film and films that are relevant to anthropology, um, you know, and ethnographic work with a, a Russian film. Uh, well, a Russian film, but a Soviet film from 1929, uh, Chelovek's Kino So that is, I'm sorry, I don't speak Russian. I can just, you know, model my way That's through. That's fine, Dylan. Those but uh, it's <laughs> Chelovek's Kino Apparatum is uh, in English commonly known as Man with a Movie Camera. So for folks who are real film buffs, uh, or maybe who are super into ethnographic films, you might have heard of this film. You might have seen it. Maybe you have seen it uh, many times. I don't know. Maybe you watched it when it originally premiered. Probably not. It was 1929. That was a couple, three years ago now. But that is uh, the topic uh, for today. So just uh, briefly, I will say that is by uh, Giga Vertov. Uh, as I said, released in 1929, it is a silent film with no intertitles. So there is no text in between various scenes. It is just a silent film. Uh, Yeah. And so, you know, I'll kick it off with uh, asking you, Kevin, you know, if you wouldn't mind talking uh, just a little bit more briefly, maybe sketching out what this film looks like for folks who haven't uh, watched it. Sure thing. Yeah. Well, thanks Dylan. And, uh, Thanks to all the listeners for tuning in uh, here on this beautiful Saturday. It's uh, at least I had my popcorn by my side, some water and or whatever soft drink, and I'm enjoying it um, and watching this film. Uh, I think maybe I'll preface and I think if you just read the title, um, be it in Russian or in English, the the man with a movie camera. I think you, you and at least in my mind, I started wondering what <laughs> this means. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, the man with the movie camera, is this a movie, um, uh, metaphorically speaking about film, the film industry? Is it, uh, is it a film about a man? Is it a film about cameras? What is it about truly? And, uh, you know, I think, um, maybe my, I had no, I didn't read the background and I just started watching it and I was a bit perplexed. And I think that is part of the experience of what Veritov is trying to get. But essentially what this film is, um, it's a part documentary and part cinematic art um, in many ways, I think. So it follows this 1920s 70, uh, Soviet Union. Uh, I don't know, the film consists of a lot of things and, and Dylan, you, you and I can both speak on it, but it kind of goes from 
day-to-day -day activities, uh, daytime to nighttime, uh, you know, sports, uh, you know, food, uh, you know, transportation, uh, all of that. There's just goes on and on. And it's, uh, it, it, the film depicts kind of the ordinary daily life uh, in Russia, essentially. Um, I, I believe mo most of it was filmed, I think, in Odessa, uh, if, if, I've, if I'm correct. Um, but the, the film, I think, uh, brings out kind of, you know, the I, I guess you could call it maybe the modernity of that time, right? And the most newest inventions, industri industry, um, and the people. Uh, you see buildings, you see populations moving. Uh, you know the, the the hustle and bustle of a of a, of a you know of a roaring time per se, right? And you could say that in many ways. And uh, you know, yeah, as you mentioned, there is no narration, so it's kind of a, a black and white film. I think it's specifically shot on 35 millimeter film, so you know you get that framing of a 35 millimeter film. Uh, we'll talk a little bit, I think, later on, Dylan, also about you know specific film techniques, uh, which many students who who are film students have probably seen this film, where you talk about like double exposure, um, the way they frame the camera. Uh, they even use stop stop motion in parts of the film, which I did not expect. Um, and then, of course, I think they had some scenes where it was there were some slow motion techniques used, um, at least the version that I think Dylan and I watched um, it included a symphony uh, uh, production, uh, which I believe was, uh, you know, kind of added on. I think it was restored by um, a, a film uh, archive uh, out in, uh, in the Netherlands. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dylan, but I think it's I um, and they... Um, they essentially employed, yeah, I Film Institute in Amsterdam, um, and they uh, employed the Alloy Orchestra to to do a music accompaniment, which was really nice. I, I thought it was great, but uh, I don't know. Did I miss anything, Dylan? I think uh, beyond that, that's a start yeah. <laughs> to what the film is. It, it's an hour long, so there's so much. And actually, it's a four-part long series of four-part series i believe right dylan yeah something like that well and i would just say my note would be that for the filming i don't know quite what the breakdown is as you said it was filmed in odessa it, um i believe it was filmed in odessa kiev and kharkiv right so all in the ukrainian soviet socialist republic um but yeah i don't know quite uh what the breakdown is the majority of that might have been in odessa i don't i'm not entirely clear on that and i can't I don't, I'm not familiar enough with how those cities looked either in the 1920s really or today. I've never been to either of them um, to, to be able to identify it. But yeah, you know, it's, uh, as you said, there's, there's a lot going on with it. And <laughs> I, I'm curious, I guess, maybe as to where we want to start um, since it does provide such a, um, you know, so many things with as you said you have the the shots of people in their city life and stuff and so you have from that perspective right you can watch it and as a, as you said something of an ethnographic film so looking at what it's presenting of daily life and stuff you know and in all kinds of ways and in a way it, it it seems to track over the course of the day right because you start out with people um waking up going places you know they're they're starting to go places and then you have scenes of work and and all these things that are happening and then at the end you know sport and leisure and all those kinds of things and people even you know watching um 
stuff right themselves and so you have that but then as you also said right the the way the movie was made in and itself is of course of great interest both i think to people interested in film as as like film majors whatnot but also i think even um in general when you watch it if you've watched any other it, it really if you've watched like almost any other like maybe more regular silent film like if you've watched any american films from the 20s right like charlie chaplin or something you know any of that it would come across as, as a very different film compared to uh those not not even in content but in in the way it is filmed for sure but i guess you know since this is speaking of anthropology i'll start with you know the ethnographic side of it and stuff and so i'm curious kevin as to as you said you you know it came across as as a um very much a movie of modernity and of hustle and bustle right and so i'm curious as to what you picked out from those elements and what you saw in that and what you noticed about um sort of the modern society i mean modern of course of for the late 20s but modern society that you saw being presented in uh this movie sure yeah man with a movie camera i think maybe this is a question that i could I think is what you're trying to get is what stood out. Um, you know, if you say the word man with a movie camera, what is the first scene that pops in my mind? I, I don't know why, but this scene um, stuck with my mind. So, you know, the, the film, uh, just, just a quick note, the film also follows, um, you know, I, I believe a few folks who are holding a camera throughout, you know, it's strung into the, in, you know, kind of weaved into the whole entire film itself. Um, of somebody holding a tripod and a 35 millimeter camera. And those scenes specifically stood out to me primarily. Um, I mean, there are the iconic scenes that I think a lot of film students know, you know, the, the double exposure film where, you know, the man with the movie cameras, you know, in a beer cup, but, but you know, like a small size, um, the proportions are off. And I thought, I think those are really, really standouts, but uh, this is, I think maybe the most simple one, and probably, I don't know if you expected this one, but the one that stood out to me was uh, essentially one of the camera men or the camera uh, people uh, taking their 35 millimeter up a, um, uh, a smokestack, a smokestack, I'm sorry, you know, like those big industrial smokestacks. Um, and there's just like a ladder and he, he's just climbing up one at a time. And the film is kind of fragmented in between so you'll see a scene where he's climbing and then a scene of the city and then a scene back to the factory and then scene of him climbing and it's just him lugging this 35 millimeter up and the cut in between in and out of that um, I think was so perfect him looking back down um, I think it was so uh, perfect for the at least for the title of the film uh, and then you see the the you know the smoke coming out of the industry and the reminder of you're in the 1920s and the industrial society had just begun. Um, and, you know, I just remember that I thought, I think what's also quite wonderful is with the 35 millimeter film that that scene was followed and preceded by images of, you know, uh, a, a, a sewing factory where they make a bunch of clothes, um, you know, industrial factory making metal, right. Um, these different scenes, uh, brought to life kind of that period um, of, of modernity. And I, and I think, uh, so, you know, that struggle of a guy lugging a, a massive, I would say massive, not compared to, you know, the phones and, you know, uh, small cameras that we have today, but a 35 millimeter box 
with no like no safety harness or anything up uh you know up the stairs one at a time and trying to film from a height in order to get a shot uh, i think wow that that's uh you know true truly the spirit um of, of what a man with a movie camera is at least that, that was mine but you know i don't know i don't know if i hope i answered your question about modernity uh, i think it, it leads to that um so i guess maybe dylan for you i you know when we say man with a movie camera what what scene stands out um what part of the film stands out to you yeah no there's as you said there's a lot of interesting things and mine is actually related um and you actually mentioned it briefly but uh the scenes from um what was either a steel mill or some type of foundry right and well, one that stands out to me in particular is also when they're filming a man with the 35 millimeter camera and it's he's setting the tripod up and he's backlit um by like the the um flames or superheated air or whatever it is that's happening behind him right and so he's backlit by it and then he sets up the tripod you know you've watched him carry it over he sets it up he's getting ready to start filming and someone comes up to him and touches him and it's like no you got to move your um a camera and so then like he like picks up the camera and then he and the other guy go on right the other person go on with him right and so you know that um that's one of the ones that stands out to me right uh but yeah that is one of the really interesting things about this particular um movie right <laughs> is is that um you know it is innovative both in shots so you know as you said there's um fast forwarding and slowing down and all kinds of and interesting angles and intersplicing at one point quite rapid intersplicing um where it was uh, from what i understood visually it was trying to convey a sense of um uh like being overwhelmed disorientation right that uh someone who was being filmed was experiencing and so by rapidly intermixing the shots essentially that same effect is created in the viewer as well right of of the of one of the cities that it was filmed at and so at sort of dizzying speeds and all the people moving about and everything that was happening the hustle and bustle and it becomes disorienting both for the for the a person being filmed but also for the viewer um and so that sort of thing right where it's innovative in in um editing in in you know how these shots are all being placed together but then of course right there's that element of um they weren't just filming you know these three cities and then doing interesting things with the footage they were also filming themselves filming these three cities and the, doing interesting things with that portion of the footage as well and so that is it's um you know today we would understand that maybe is a rather self-reflexive um film right uh i don't i'm taken to understand it was not a particularly common or in vogue way of doing filmmaking uh back <laughs> in the late uh 20s you know and really for a lot of the early 20th century in film and stuff and so that certainly was interesting um but yeah you know the all kinds of different industries are featured like i don't know if you remember but one of them they show you know is um from i uh, i think it was cigarettes they were doing the the gal who was rapidly could do the box of cigarettes and then and then she just kept doing that for a while and doing that and you know you're wondering okay so what's the box for and then later they show that they're shoving and 
what I understand, what I'm pretty sure are cigarettes under the box or um, telephone switchboard operators, uh, you know, so that kind of stuff. But also, you know, as we said, also scenes of um, uh, of different aspects of life as well, right? So actually one of the scenes early on is of a woman giving birth and stuff, right? Or you have um, emergency fire crews responding um, to things, see him, you know, a guy ringing the bell and then driving out of the station or a guy with a, you know, a head injury where crews are responding to him. So I guess, you know, since we've talked a little bit about the industry side, I'm curious what um, of those scenes, or maybe for you, it was born the sport. I believe at one point we saw a woman's uh, basketball team, uh, <laughs> you know, playing. So I'm curious of what uh, of those sort of scenes stood out to you uh, in the movie. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, the film itself uh, had a lot of leisure, leisure like components, which is kind of interesting. If you look at the, the progression and we encourage uh, to our listeners um, that are tuning in right now here to KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks, uh, check it out um, and you'll see the progression itself um, from, from early morning to night uh, to from work to leisure, that that flow I think works really well. Um, but yeah, no, the leisure it was all also I think uh, I remember there's a scene where they're all at the beach and then they move into sports and it's just having fun and the music I think also helped um, in feeling the upbeat tones that you have. Um, so it's definitely an up and down sort of flow. But uh, yeah, no, the the you know they I think I, I enjoy the basketball scenes, the volleyball scenes. Um, but the one that stood out to me was all the track and field stuff, um, the, the and specifically the high jump. Um, I, I love the way um, Vertov essentially uh, put together both the um, facial reactions of people seeing the jumps and then the actual jump itself, um, and that that component. And just seeing how how they you know, the the outfits that they wear to jump um, definitely different from what we have today. Uh, and then, of course, just, you know, the technique uh, and the, you know, the way that they get over it. It's so redeeming, at least. Uh, the, the leisure itself is, is really nice and, and really st stands out. Um, I think a little bit also, um, I think when you mentioned earlier, that splicing. Um, I believe in, in film, uh, there's, well, at least Vertov created uh, this this movement. Uh, you know, essentially, it, I think it was the Kino Eye uh, concept, right? Uh the Kino Eye is a film technique uh, used by Vertov um, and it's kind of becomes synonymous with this uh, idea of capturing what is inaccessible to the human eye, right? Um, so capturing this, um, you know, uh, or as, as Kino Eye films uh, try to imitate how human eye sees things. Um, so it's kind of a, in many ways, a modern take um, on uh, an art form of experimental film that he has created uh, for us and displayed with us. What's interesting, I think, to consider with his Kino idea um, is, of course, uh, constructing uh, this like new depiction of what society is beyond what you see from a first-person view every day. Um, you kind of notice the small things in life every day that are around you. Um, I think of it like you're living in a community, um, you know, every day you'll stop and smell the roses, you know, maybe you'll say hi to your neighbor, 
maybe you'll just go grab a coffee. Um, in these modern times, you might be stopping in a Zoom meeting uh, and then walking to your, uh, you know, kitchen um, and, and saying hi to your, uh, you know, dog. Uh, but it, 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 I think it varies in that case. But uh, I think that keto I idea, uh, keto spelled K-I-N-O, which I believe in other languages is film um, or movies. In uh, German, kino is is the word for cinema. So yeah, and I believe yeah. it was borrowed from uh, borrowed by the in by Russian from German, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe that's just me showing my bias there. <laughs> oh no, for sure. Um, and then I, I guess maybe just to to reiterate once more. So this idea of this kino, I was to kind of break away from traditional filming techniques at that time, um, and just you know have uh, you know, just have a, a no narrative, no uh, char- main characters, no story, no uh, lesson to be told, um, which I think at some points you could say is to not be that of propaganda um, and to have a specific, you know, thing that you should learn from it. Uh, but in, in this case, it's just an open film up to your interpretation from what you saw. So an example how from what Dylan and I saw, we saw completely two different things. So in Virtal's eyes, or through his Kino eye, he succeeded um, in that case. And so just considering that, it, it's really interesting. Um, you know, likewise with the filming techniques, uh, if I can mention um, the double exposure, I think he even makes it, uh, there's an exposure there four times of the, uh, of the telephone uh, uh, connectors. There's one scene where there's four of the same exact scene um, there's some scenes that are uh, fast forward and then played backwards and then back and forth and this movement of time. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm going on here, but it, it, maybe it's just to me, um, the modernity of this film and the way in which it's been created gives us a new look on society. Um, maybe if I would summarize it as saying it's the, the concept of the grass is greener on the other side kind of concept of and, and i'll explain here briefly is you know you're seeing this film you're realizing what it's about you see the you know the techniques but then you're noticing these minutiae things in life that you don't notice every day right and isn't that i think what kino i is <laughs> in some ways but i, I don't know what you, you saw on that too dylan i mean if you can speak on that too yeah, and the minutia thing is interesting. I don't know. Like you said, right, the switchboard operators, it, you can very clearly see like some of the editing. Um, I think it's a very solid example, the diversity of, of editing techniques and fast, as you said, fast forwarding and, and um, you know, multiple shots and stuff. Um, but yeah, it it is interesting. So what springs to mind is um, for something comparable is, um, you know, of uh of that idea right of of trying to get um sort of the minutia of daily life that you might not always see is is maybe something like uh what Georges Perec was doing uh slightly you know in about the mid 70s and stuff right so you know about 40 years um after uh words right after the uh, man with movie camera came out, you know, but where he's uh, that sort of idea, right. Of, um, of 
trying to just observe but you know there are differences right so like uh, the prec one piece that comes to mind and attempted at exhausting a place in paris he sat prec sat in a couple different places and just kept watching and taking notes of what he saw right and trying to um you know come to some kind of um detailed observation of of everything that was going on around him and you know ultimately you know you you see that it's not really possible to do that right because um it becomes clear that by um you know being in a place and observing that you are thus going to miss certain things that are going on because you have to take a position to observe right um and so you can sort of see that a similar concept maybe in a man with a movie camera but at the same time it's not it's openly not trying to necessarily be faithful, right? Because if it was being faithful, or, you know, that idea that you could faithfully um, capture what's going on around you, which a lot of people, I think, at this point in the social sciences in film and literature would disagree, is even possible, right? Um, But, you know, that idea that um, you're trying to do that, then if that was the case, I do not think that they would have made the editing decisions that they made, right. And so I think, in some ways, um, you can see just (laughs) kind of, um, maybe you could almost describe it as being rather ahead of its time, uh, man with a movie camera was and um, Fetov's ideas, because in the editing choices, it almost seems to concede that, um, observation is even of the stuff around you right like of city life you know and of people going about their ways it's always going to be characterized by the position it's being observed from by the observer by the existence of it being observed at all and stuff right and so it's not necessarily going to be um there's no like 100 percent faithful observation in that respect right and so it leans into that right by you know, editing the way it does and playing with what it's seeing and doing these sorts of things, speeding it up, slowing it down, you know, or even the um, more out there editing decisions, right? Like having the tiny man in the uh, beer and stuff, right? And so in that, you know, it's kind of embracing that idea that, you know, would only become um, more prominent in the social sciences in the latter decades of the 20th century of the idea, you know, that there is not really an objective observe. You can't have a hundred percent objective observations of just like, this is what was seen and this is what really happened. And this was everything that was going on. Like that totality of objective observation that can't, that a lot of people argue can't really exist. Right. And so the movie kind of in a way is leaning into that um, with the decisions that it makes and, a way that uh i don't again i don't think was particularly common for the time right and so yeah it is uh very very interesting um in that aspect of both what it's trying to film but also in how it's how it chooses to to present it and how it feels free to play with the editing and make the decisions that it does uh so that you can't say well you know, because, you know, you don't, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, maybe some folks do, but I, I've never quite been around the city and perceived events um, necessarily like that before. But 
again, it, the point is, is that it's, it's a perspective on events that, you know, is what it is. And it's not trying to maybe claim to be the definitive objective account of, of reality. Right. So it's very interesting in that respect. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. The objective of anything, um, Dylan and I were just actually having a brief conversation of before, before our show today of, of what is the objective of today? What is the objective of tomorrow? What is, uh, for me, it's what, what is the objective of graduating on time by the end of this semester? Uh, for Dylan is what is the objective, uh, you know, for, you know, for his long-term goals, uh, you know, and, and all that and, and every day of, of that and that sort. Uh, I guess this is something Dylan, I also wanted to, to ask you maybe we can chat a little bit about it. Um, but in terms of like the film itself, uh, you know, th there's definitely lots and there's definitely stuff that um, with the limitations that he has, uh, you know, in the time period, uh, it's really well done. And of course, remastered uh, and, re you know, reorganized, but it keeps the original uh, identity of it. But is there anything that we're missing or maybe that Vertov is missing um, from the film that maybe he should have included? Um, maybe, you know, the music changed it, I think, in many ways, um, the, you know, uh, the ways that we're watching it today is definitely different at the, as compared to seeing it in the theater, traditionally speaking, right? Um, so I don't know, is there anything that's missing uh, to you? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, Kevin. Um, so I'll find the edge of your question and say, I don't know for if I could speak to Veritov having missed anything per se in the filming. Um, but what I will say is, is that you mentioned how the music changes it and how seeing it not in theaters changes it. And I'll say to that, that it's not just not seeing it in theaters or with music, but uh, generally speaking, I think, you know, most folks know that silent films um, were presented with some kind of musical accompaniment oftentimes when they were being shown in theaters, right? And depending on, you know, what time period you're in, especially towards the beginning of cinema or what the local resources are available, it might literally be a dude who is playing the piano for you while you're watching the film, right? Later on, you know, you would see... Um, especially in, I believe it was common for German silent films, you know, during German expressionism under the Weimar Republic and stuff. Um, you know, when you see some of the most famous silent films uh, being produced uh, that directors would, um, I'm taken to understand it was not uncommon for directors to have like a music selection that would be played through a gramophone or something, you know, or, um, with it so it wasn't reliant on the local talents of people to perform music so i think in that i'm curious as to what we as a modern audience are missing because i'm not clear on what the presentation was in the theaters in the soviet union at the time right i'm not sure if vertov had specific music in mind that he wanted played with it if he didn't want music played with it if it was left to the theaters you know, I'm curious as to how that happened, because, um, you know, that is a, an element of it that I think we don't necessarily um, consider much today because of the way it was handled back then was almost split, right? Whereas now we have, you know, 
what they you know started calling you know about around the time this movie came out and slightly after the talkies right but now you know we have movies with sound and color um and all that and so you know we don't necessarily split the um audio and visual uh experiences in our head right it's a part of a cohesive package but you know the way that it operated back then it it was split and then it you know maybe um it, you had as i said all those kinds of differences whether it be you know local musical talent recorded music whatnot maybe no music so that to me would be my um my question in response to your question of whether we're missing something right is i wonder if we are missing that component of it because as you said the music does have an effect right and so the version that you watched with the music you know shaped um in a way the the viewing experience and so i'm very curious as to what vetov himself was intending with that uh, or if he if it was left up to theaters you know in just how that um operated when it was released in the soviet union in 1929 uh, but i don't know uh, maybe you have uh something different that you feel um was uh, missing or that you would have liked to see included and however that would be so i'll throw your question back to you kevin as to what your response is sure yeah yeah um no definitely a great question and maybe give also a little preface i when i was watching the film i was wondering the whole entire time what version because this you know the one that we watched uh, was actually on on at least for me dylan it was on canopy um, it was, as we mentioned, it was out of the EYE, uh, you know, Amsterdam film uh, archives where they've remastered it. Um, at least this copy of the film uh, by, that was left behind by Tsega Vertov himself uh, in the Netherlands um, after screaming at Film Liga, actually, which is where formerly now known as EYE. Uh, it was, uh, I think, at least according to the, the records and to what he mentioned, um, he left it there because uh, uh, he was afraid that his film might not pass customs uh, in, in going into Germany. Um, and so that's why it just perchance still is in Netherlands, um, which is kind of interesting, uh, you know, the restoration. You know, a few, uh, quite a few shows back, we talked about Dawson City, right? The recovering and revitalization of film. Uh, you, know, you get that same feeling and experience, I think. Um, and, and, you know, I, you know I, I would say, there definitely are things that, um, you know, we, I, you know, like I said, I think this is also the difficulty of that time is uh, the film that they were able to get and what they were maybe not able to salvage. That's what I, I, I think is missing um, from, from, you know, whatever the records show um, and that, you know, we will never be able to see, which is the unfortunate part of a film uh, from that time period. Uh, you know, now, well, at least we're able to see a, a good portion of it, which I believe he spent you know, Vertov spent quite a bit of time uh, collecting all of that film together. Um, and, you know, at least I think, uh, you know, maybe, I, I, you know, there are portions of me where I started noticing, at least in the film version that we watched, the orchestra played uh, some of those parts on repeat. So I, at some points I actually hit mute on my own computer and just uh, watched it on silent and just focused on the imagery. That Vertov was trying to uh, depict to us. Um, but the, this film itself, I think, yeah, 
I think I wonder, um, you know, with him not, and I, I know he does have like sections, I believe that he, of a number, like a one, a two, three, so on and so forth of, you know, different sections of this film that he uses with, of course, no words. Um, you know, he uses specific scenes over and over again, maybe like, you know, I think there's a poster of, of uh, uh, somebody telling them to be quiet, I think in like a sh sign. And so they use that several times, clipped in, spliced in, um, repeated. And so, yeah, I think it had, it had, his, it had its magic <laughs> of bringing itself together uh, as a film. Um, yeah, uh, to me, it, it fits that mold at least. Um, but I don't know, I, I think there are many ways to, to watch a film like this and to interpret it. Um, of course, we're not film majors, we're anthropology majors. And so we're looking primarily at what's happening, right? <laughs> In that society at that time, so. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you know, it's, it, I mean, it, it's interesting. And with a film like this though, right? Like even as someone who's interested in film and especially of um, silent films and of early 20th century film, um, but who's not a film major, right? Who's an anthropologist? It is like both fascinating from that perspective of seeing these these daily life examples, right? And but then also, of course, it is um, such a fascinating film in how it is structured and how it was filmed and how it was made. That uh, I think m most viewers, even um, maybe even people who wouldn't necessarily consider themselves film buffs, uh, let alone non-film majors, I think would um, note it and be interested in or have thoughts on it, right? Because it, you know, it is such a fundamental um, part of, of the work, right? And so, yeah, you know, it's interesting. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe to bring it back to anthropology. So originally, you know, I, I compared it to Perec, right? Um, you know, an attempt at exhausting a place in Paris. Uh, but th there is also a more contemporary example for um, for this film that uh, has occurred to me, you know, which would be um, Siegfried Krakauer's work on um, the salaried masses, duty and distraction in Weimar, Germany. And that wasn't published until I believe the 60s, maybe, um, in English. But... Uh, it was written, I think, as a series of newspaper articles in 1930 in Germany. And, um, you know, as, as, as the title would say, you know, Krakauer was doing, um, I believe he was mostly a journalist by profession, but he was doing what was essentially sociological research on um, salaried workers in Berlin during the um, late Weimar period, right? And so, uh, for him that what that took the form of was just like overhearing conversations and talking to people in the streets and stuff and as they're going about their business and just sort of what he picked up in his local milieu right and whatever was going on around him you know um you know whether that be talking to clerks at stores or you know overhearing the discussion of two people in a park or on a tram you know or uh you know talking with just you know whoever he ran into however he ran into them or whatever he overheard as he was living in berlin and making his way through berlin right and uh well that was you know obviously a textual thing right that was it was all written down published in newspapers later translated into english and written in a book um you know i think that that sort of work is uh 
well, sociological nature is both obviously very interesting to anthropologists, a very ethnographic approach, but is also uh, very similar to this film, right? You know, two different mediums. Um, I think that the Vetov film has a little more artistic flourish maybe than what Krakauer was doing. Um, but, you know, both are uh, attempts to observe and note what was going on around them, even if not necessarily claiming to um, be uh, definitive examples, right? You know, Krakauer, um, in, in the way that he does his work, you know, it's not like he was aiming for, like, I have completed the ultimate sociological study on what people working at this one, like, factory or office or, you know, company in Berlin, what they experience, right? His was more general, you know, a bunch of people um, throughout Berlin over time, um, you know, generally in public or, you know, in, um, in meetings and stuff. And so it was uh, more, you know, broad, broad scoping, right? Um, but I think in that you can, you can definitely compare it to this Vetov film. And uh, I think both you know, are interesting examples of what was going on um, in those respective societies, uh, you know, at the in the um, early 20th century in a time of great change in both Germany and in the Soviet Union, naturally. So that was just the uh, the other comparison uh, that I thought of, Kevin. I don't know if you have um, any other uh, things that spring to mind in that respect. Yeah, I know for sure. Yeah, definitely. I, I, um, uh, maybe I, I'll speak on a, some personal experiences with film. Um, formerly, uh, I had an opportunity to to do some film work myself. Um, previously, uh, as a graduating high school student, um, this is back at the San Francisco Art Institute, and um, got a, a bit of uh, an experience with fifty-five millimeter film. Um, and you know, considering the difficulty, I think, and and. Of, of, of making film, producing the film, um, you know, that, that in itself, which is before you can even look at the film and edit it together, and then nonetheless to splice it together to a, a perfection, um, takes work, takes time, takes effort. Uh, you have to look at each film, you have to run the, the machine back and forth, back and forth. Um, it's not, it's, it's still the same today with um, <clears throat> editing software, but it's not necessarily the same process. Um, so considering that, I think it's really good in, in what he's able to do uh, with this whole entire, you know, <clears throat> film. And, uh, you know, I, I think it, if you think about, uh, you know, also the exposures that he had, that's, to me, that's, I keep going back to that, the way he masterfully placed a, a double exposure. Um, that's crazy to me, because it's very difficult to, because you have to essentially memorize what you had taken a shot before, then take, take that same exact shot and then film over it again. And from there, you, you're just freestyling. You're just, you know, whatever's on the previous one, you just hope it's there. Um, and then of course, you know, film, I mean, these days I think it's irrelevant to us because of, you know, maybe storage spaces is uh, the best uh, on your devices, the most, you know, anecdotal allegory <laughs> between each. But you think about it, um, the amount of film that you have, once you run out of film, you're out of film. Um, so then I guess you have to go back and do it again. Uh, and so I wonder at the same time, you know, how that precision uh, in terms of that and, 
you know, from my, my personal experiences when I was filming, it was the, all the hardest part was always about lighting, um, which I think is the biggest component of film filming, but especially with, you know, 35 or 55 millimeter film, if you're overexposed, you have nothing. <laughs> it's just a blank, you know, <laughs> film. Um, and so the ways in which he uh, masterfully did that, of course, he is, you know, one of the, the you know, great uh, filmmakers of all time um, in terms of creating this medium for us. Uh, but, you know, the way he did it um, is, is just truly beautiful um, in, in all in all and uh, how it's done. Uh, and if, if I may, Dylan, uh, I, I read a quote uh, briefly from uh, Zika Vertov, and it, it was on the, the canopy site that we're looking at. And, um, you know, after I watched the film, and I was like, okay, well, this makes sense. You know, he's talking about Kinoa, he's talking about modernity, he's using these new techniques, he's trying to break from tradition. And it, the quote is as follows uh, as by Zika Vertov, and he says, I am an eye, a mechanical eye. I am the machine that reveals the world to you as only the machine can see it. I was like, whoa, okay, okay, hold on. You're right, you know, um, the way in which you're filming is just, uh, it, it can be very intimate at times. It can be very pulled back and kind of seeing society as a whole. Um, his, the way in which he is trying to make this film is not only to use these wonderful techniques of film, but also, you know, document and these sociological occurrences and the development of hu humans and people uh, in Soviet Russia at this time, right? Um, and so, you know, it, it, it just brings out, I think, a lot of topics and, and uh, still transcends uh, a value to us today because, <laughs> I don't know, Dylan and I decided to watch it uh, for Speaking of Anthropology and to think about it. So I think, Zika uh, Vertov, thank you so much uh, for, for creating this film, a man, with, a man with a camera for us to watch. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, I think it's a, a good one, you know, for folks both interested in film and in ethnographic film uh, to watch. And I, you know, despite the fact that it is, um, what would it be, 93, 92 years old now, somewhere in there, right? It's, uh, it's definitely still incredibly relevant. And I think it's definitely worth a watch, um, you know, and it is about as we said, an hour and six minutes. It's, uh, you know, available online. As Kevin mentioned, Canopy, I believe, you know, the Internet Archive also has it, you know. So it's it's a film that is out there to watch, uh, you know, for free from those various um, uh, folks who are interested in preserving and cataloging film and stuff, you know. So if anything we said uh, on this, uh, you know, episode of Speaking of Anthropology here on KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks for the uh, 10th of April 2021 interested you, you know, uh, feel free to watch the film uh, yourself. And if you would like to listen to past episodes of the show, those are available on our website at uh, speakingmanthro.wixsite.com slash speakingmanthro. So uh, thank you for uh, joining me for yet another wonderful Saturday show, Kevin. Thank you, Dylan.